Job 29. And again, Job took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I was in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in my prime, when the friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were all round me, when my steps were washed with butter and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. When I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me and withdrew, and the aged rose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, it called me blessed, and when the eye saw, it approved. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. Then I thought, I shall die in my nest and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My roots spread out to the waters with the dew all night on my branches. My glory fresh with me and my bow ever new in my hand. Men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. After I spoke, they didn't speak again and my word dropped upon them. They waited for me as for the rain and they opened their mouths as for the spring rain. I smiled on them when they had no confidence and the light of my face they did not cast down. I chose their way and sat as chief, and I lived like a king among his troops, like one who comforts mourners. I'll do keep that open. Do you ever, uh, ever look back with longing to an earlier period in your life? Um, sometimes sort of happy memories of times past, they can be triggered by a smell or by a taste. I don't know if you've had that experience. But uh, the most famous example in literature is uh, the humongous novel by a French author called Marcel Proust. It's called Remembrance of Times Past. And the taste or the, the smell of eating a madeleine, you know, one of those little French cakes, it takes the narrator back to scenes from his childhood, the village where he grew up, his Aunt Leonie's bedroom, And so begins a novel of some 1.2 million words. But it all begins with this memory triggered by this taste and smell. And I have a similar experience, actually, whenever I smell mown grass. So freshly mown grass, whenever I smell that, suddenly I'm back at primary school. It's the summer. I'm running around in my shorts on the field at lunchtime playing football. And it's the smell which triggers the memory from all those years ago. What do you look back to with nostalgia? Perhaps you remember a time when life felt less stressful and you were happier, you were more content. Uh, Perhaps you remember in your marriage, maybe if you're married, you remember earlier days where uh, there was greater intimacy, there was greater closeness in your relationship. Perhaps you remember a time earlier on in your Christian life when you were closer to God, uh, you were more excited about spiritual things. This kind of looking back is unhelpful. It is unhelpful if it just leaves us feeling 
sad and gloomy and we're sort of wallowing in nostalgia. That's unhelpful. But it can be good and it can be helpful if it makes us long for a better future. If it motivates us to pursue that to maybe a more balanced life, uh, maybe deeper friendships, maybe a better marriage, maybe a closer relationship with God. And that's what we find here in Job uh, 29, that Job is going through this terrible time of suffering. He's lost everything. He feels that God is against him. His so-called friends are miserable comforters. They just add to his troubles. And in this chapter, he looks back with longing to happier times in life. Times when he enjoyed close friendship with God. Times when he was a blessing to other people. But this longing also points forward and it gives hope for the future. These things that now had been lost would one day be restored. And ultimately it points forward to Christ and it points forward to the kind of life that we are to live as those in Christ. So in this chapter we get a picture of the godly life. The life which Christ lived supremely and the life to which we are called as those in Christ. So if we're, if we're at all dissatisfied with life at the moment, and in particular with our relationship with God and with other people, this chapter gives us hope for the future, and it encourages us to press on. Well, let's have a look at it together. It begins in verses 1 to 6 with Job looking back with longing to happier times in his relationship with God. So verse 1, he says again, uh, Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me. So he's longing for those times past when he enjoyed God's loving protection. And although he had experienced difficult times before, dark days before, God's presence had been like a light in the darkness. So verse 3 he says, When his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. Verse 4 he says, As I was in my prime, when the friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, So friendship with God, and the word there is for intimate friendship. It's a really strong word. Verse 5, he says, when my children were all around me, when my steps were washed with butter, which sounds a strange image, it's like a slippery ice ring or something, but it's a picture of abundant food and drink, is the point there. And he says, the rock poured out for me streams of oil, so not WD-40, olive oil, used for cooking, lamp fuel, anointing skin. So, verses 1 to 6, this lovely picture of a blessed, the blessed life. And right at the heart of it is close friendship with God. This is what Job looked back to with longing, and this is what would be restored to him again at the end of the book. And it foreshadows what the Son of God enjoyed, intimate friendship with God, the Father, in eternity, at the Father's side, John 1.18. And in his earthly life, of course, Jesus, the Son of God, walking closely with the Father day by day. So friendship with God is what Jesus enjoyed. It's what we were created for. And it's what we experience, isn't it? It's what we enjoy when we put our trust in Jesus. So having been before enemies of God in our sin, in Christ we become friends of God. Romans 5.10 says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. 
When someone describes you as being their friend, so not a Facebook friend, but you know, a real friend, when someone describes you as their friend, it makes you feel really special, doesn't it? Oh, this person thinks of me as their friend. Wow. And the more important they are, the more honored you feel that they consider you to be their friend. So imagine if, I don't know, Ronaldo described you as, you're my friend. Or imagine if King Charles did, or if Bill Gates did, or Scarlett Johansson, or Taylor Swift. Imagine if she said, you are my friend. Wow. In Isaiah 41, verse 8, God refers to Abraham, my friend. Wow, Abraham, my friend. That's what God says. What a staggering thought. God, the Almighty, the Creator, the Ruler of everything, considers you, considers me, as his friend. And Jesus saying, as he did to his disciples in John 15, he said, you are my friends. If you're somebody who's not a Christian and you're uh, maybe looking into Christian things, this is what is an offer through Jesus. Not religion, uh, not just something different to do on a Sunday morning, but becoming a friend of God. Intimate friendship with the Almighty. It's what we're made for. We were made by God for God. And that is what eternal life is. It's knowing God. If we do trust in Christ, this is what we have. Friendship with God. So walking with God as our friend through life in this world. As Enoch did. Enoch walked with God, Genesis 5. As Noah did. Noah walked with God, Genesis 6. As Micah tells us to do. He says, walk humbly with your God, Micah 6. And we were thinking about this the other weekend when we did our men's walk um, on the coast the other Saturday. Do you remember a time in your life when you had a closer walk with God than you do at the moment? A time when that friendship with God meant more to you? Felt more real? Well, rather than just looking back with nostalgia, let's pursue that again. A deeper, a closer friendship with God. So just as in marriage, if you remember in your marriage times when in the past you were closer, that should motivate us to pursue that again and to rekindle and fan the flame. Uh, Tim Chester has written a a book called Enjoying God. It's a really, really helpful guide to what this friendship with God actually looks like in the everyday of life. Not just on a Sunday, but what does it look like on a Monday morning? Tim Chester, Enjoying God, very helpful book. Perhaps you're going through dark days at the moment. Uh, difficult times, challenging circumstances. In the darkness, there is no better friend than God himself. As Job said here, by his light, I walked, verse 3, through darkness. And it's what David said, wasn't it? In Psalm 23, he said, even though I walk through the, the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. It's his friend. What's going to be the best thing about the age to come, about life in the age to come? It's friendship with God. That's what we will enjoy forever. Revelation 21 says that God will dwell with them. And Revelation 22 says they will see his face. 
Jesus said, I'll come again, I'll take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And so, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, we'll always be with the Lord. Imagine that you had been separated from a loved one for 10 years. And imagine a a reunion weekend was arranged uh, where you'd see them again. And this reunion weekend was going to be at a magnificent country house, and there'd be stunning grounds, and there'd be amazing food. What would be the best bit of the weekend? Would it be the steak and chips? Uh, Would it be the gardens and the lake? Would it be the architecture of the country mansion? Well, no, of course, it would be being reunited with your loved one. And so the age to come is not just about living in a renewed universe where there is no sin or suffering or death in resurrection bodies, amazing though all that is. Above all, it's about reunion with God himself and with his people. Friendship forever. Last week, uh, Hattie and I were out in Switzerland with Oak Hall on a ski trip. And the scenery is breathtaking. You've got the mountains and valleys. You've got the snow and the lakes. You've got the rocks and the waterfall. You've got sunshine and blue skies. But even in a paradise like that, if you were just skiing on your own, it would get old pretty quickly. The best bit of the week was enjoying all of this with friends. It's about relationships. And that is the heart of the age to come. The ultimate relationship, friendship with God and with his people. And that is something to look forward to. Now, this intimate friendship with God changes the way that we treat other people. It changes the way we treat other people. It's got to be lived out as it was in Job's life. And in the rest of the chapter, he looks back to how he as a local ruler lived out this friendship with God in being a blessing to other people. And he was honored for it. So look with me at verse 7. He said, When I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, (coughs) the gate, the square, that was where the people of power, the people of influence assembled. It's where they did business. So when, when he was in this gathering, people basically stood out of respect. And a sort of hush descended on the assembly. So verse 8 says, The young men saw me, and withdrew, the aged rose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. So Job had been held in the highest honor in days past. Now, if such honor was fitting for Job, as, I mean, chapter 1, verse 3 described him as the greatest of the people of the East, but if such honor had been fitting for him... How much greater honor is fitting for the one Job foreshadowed, for the Lord himself, for Jesus? So, and you get this in Revelation 5 in a vision where all the angels are shouting out, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor. And every creature in the universe responds to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor forever and ever. Philippians 2.10 says, one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So that we are friends with God, as we've just been seeing, that we are friends with God does not mean 
that we just treat God as our best mate. So he is, as people have said, he's not God Almighty. He's God Almighty. And we are to treat him with the honor due to him as Lord of all. Now, one way we honor him is by being 100% committed to him. 100% committed to him. That's one way we honor him. So if you read the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, the Lord really goes for the priests, and he he accuses them of failing to honor him. How did the priests fail to honor God? Well, basically, they were bringing damaged animals as sacrifices. They were giving God the leftovers. And so we also dishonor the Lord if we give him the leftovers of our love, our energy, our commitment, our time, our money, if we're half-hearted, if we're lukewarm in our service of him, we dishonor him. We are to honor the Lord, and one day as his people, we too will be honored. As Job was honored. In the age to come, we will rule with Christ. If you read the Lord of the Rings, remember the little hobbits, Sam and Frodo, despised by the enemy, as they make their long, long journey with the ring. But then at the end of the books, at the end when their mission is completed and the enemy has been been defeated, they are honored. They're honored by the king himself. They're given new clothes. They're given a place at the king's table. And it's a lovely picture of what awaits the follower of Christ, so often despised by the world now. Secondly, then, in verses 11 to 17, we find out the reason why Job had been so honored in the past. Verse 11, when the ear heard, it called me blessed. When the eye saw, it approved. Because, because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. So Job had used his position, his power, his wealth to help and rescue those in need. Verse 13, the blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. A ruler would wear a turban. Verse 15, he says, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. That is, he was helping those with disabilities. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. He defended the weak against the oppressors. He fought for them. Verse 17, he says, I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. So Job was a saviour to needy people. And in this, he foreshadowed the saviour, Jesus, who had such compassion on those in need. Those who are in need physically, those in need spiritually. And spiritually, all of us are needy the needy who Jesus came to save. How much we long, don't we, for him to return and to finally deliver us, bring us the final salvation we long for. And throughout the... uh, Sorry, we're not going to have Lord of the Rings illustrations for the kingdom come, but I've just finished reading them, so it's fresh in my mind. Lord of the Rings book, the shadow of the enemy, it grows and grows as the books progress from the land of Mordor. And the good guys, they sort of long for the return of the true king. And in fact, of the uh, the three novels, the uh, the three books rather, the third of the volumes is called The Return of the King. 
The king is going to come. He would defeat the enemy. He would establish his righteous rule. It's the same for us, isn't it? We long for the return of the king. And the second to last verse in the whole Bible calls out, Come, Lord Jesus. Now, as we wait for that day, as we wait for his return, we are to be people like Job. We are to reach out in compassion to those in need. We are to help the helpless. We are to do good to those around us. The categories mentioned here, the poor, the fatherless, the widow, the blind, the lame, the needy, the oppressed. And so the work we do as a church in the local asylum seeker hostel, it's what Job would have done. The work we do as a church in partnering with growth in their ministries of the homeless in Tower Hamlets, it's what Job would have done. Uh, What two local Christian mums this past week have been doing in helping uh, a local woman in a domestic abuse situation, a Hindu woman, providing accommodation for her, legal advice for her and so on. It's what Job would have done. But in all of this, we remember the greatest needs that people have is spiritual. The need for a savior from sin and judgment. Back in January, uh, do you remember the government in Ukraine? They launched an anti-corruption drive. So a dozen officials resigned or were sacked. So while... Zelensky was using his position and power to help and serve and save his people in need. Others were misusing their power and position to feather their own nest, to live in luxury. And we kind of face a similar choice, don't we? Will we reuse our resources to serve and save others in need, or will we use them to serve ourselves? Job enjoyed friendship with God, he lived this out in serving those in need, and as such, third, he had expected, he had expected that he would be blessed by God with a long life, he'd expected he would live on to old age, he expected he would die at home surrounded by his family. So verse 18 he says, then I thought I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. He'd expected a sort of a well-watered life of fruitfulness and strength. Verse 19, my roots spread out to the waters with the dew all night on my branches, my glory fresh with me, my bow ever new in my hand. That's what he'd expected, but instead, instead he'd found himself alone and weak and suffering terribly. It may be, it may be that you can relate to Job. So maybe life has not turned out as you thought it would, although you've been faithful to the Lord. So perhaps you you find yourself single when you had thought that you would be married at this stage of life. Or perhaps you are married, but the relationship is not what you'd expected. Or perhaps you imagine that you would have children, and you haven't. Or perhaps your health is not what you thought that it would be, or your working life, and so on. In in all sorts of ways, we may, like Job, we may find that life has not turned out as we thought it would. And we're left with longing. We're left with these longings for a better future. Well, these longings that we have are right longings that will one day be fulfilled. The 
longing for blessing and for happiness and for relationship and for long life, ultimately for life without the shadow of death. These longings we have, they find their fulfillment ultimately in Jesus. That was our first reading, Psalm 72. It was expressing the longing for a good, a righteous king who's going to rule forever and bring blessing to the whole world. Centuries later, an angel appears to a young woman called Mary, and he tells her that she would give birth to a son. And it says, he said, he will be great, and he will reign forever, and of his kingdom will be no end. And as those in Christ are longings for this blessed life, not just spiritually, but in the fullest possible sense, never-ending life, they will be fulfilled in the age to come. So on our ski trip last week, and I'm not going to give illustrations about our ski trip for the next few weeks, but it is fresh in my mind. We stayed in this little Swiss village called Lauterbrunnen, and it's this little paradise in a valley surrounded by high cliffs and 4,000-meter mountains. And mountains all around you are about what is permanent and what is solid and what is lasting. But as people, as people, we are anything but, aren't we? On the last day, I walked through um, a graveyard that was by the the village church. And there was this sundial on the side of the church on the wall, which sort of relentlessly tracked the passing of time. And the church bells, they basically toll every quarter of an hour. This thing goes off. Whom does the bell toll? It tolls for thee. How short life is. So unlike those mountains... We'll soon be gone. And we long, don't we, for what will last. Well, that longing will be fulfilled for those who die in the Lord. Life with the Lord forever. But in the meantime, we are to be people of the word. And that's our final point. The fourth point is the theme in the final few verses here. We're to be people of the word. So Job thinks back to times past, at the city gate, in the square. And in particular, he thinks back to the power that his words had back in those days. So back in those days, people hung on his every word. Verse 21. He said, men listened to me and waited, and they kept silence for my counsel. And after I spoke, they didn't speak again, and my word dropped upon them. And his word brought blessing. Verse 23. They waited for me as for the rain. They opened their mouths as for the spring rain. His face to them was like the face of God. Verse 24, I smiled on them when they had no confidence. The light of my face they did not cast down. And his word had authority, like the word of a chief or a king, and it brought blessing. Verse 25, I chose their way and sat as chief, and I lived like a king among his troops, like one who comforts mourners. In this too, Job foreshadowed the ultimate king and chief, Jesus, who rules his people through his life-giving word. And we need to be listening to him as he speaks through his word, the Bible, as the people listened to Job back then, submitting to his word as our final authority. So if that is how people listen to Job to Job's words, how much more attentively should we listen to the word of God himself? 
On Wednesday this past week, at our, we had a special prayer plus. We gave a briefing about the current crisis in the Church of England, about prayers of a blessing, which are being proposed for same-sex couples. And the bishops who are proposing these prayers, they claim that these prayers are the result of years of listening. But listening to whom? Listening to people. Uh, listening to their experiences. Listening not to the word as the final authority, but listening to the world. In this, as in all matters of belief and behavior, we need to be people of the word, people who rightly handle the word of truth, not distorting it, not twisting it to make it say what we want it to say, but submitting to it and building our lives on this rock. What then is the life to which God calls us? We've seen that it is a life of friendship with God in Christ. That's the heart of it. That is what we are to pursue. And then as friends of God, we are to obey his word and we are to live it out in loving, in serving other people, especially those in need. And it's a blessed life spiritually, but it may be a life with plenty of suffering and hardship as Job's was. And it may be a life with unfulfilled longings. But these longings, they don't just fill us with despair, they fill us with hope because we know that the best is yet to come. We, um, we travelled to Switzerland by coach, <clears throat> 20 hours or so sitting on a coach. Not the funnest journey. Not the best night's sleep I've ever had in my life. But it was a journey full of excitement and anticipation because of where we were going. That was on the trip out. And that excitement grew as we got nearer and nearer to our destination. Life now is the coach trip. It's not the destination. But with each passing day, our salvation comes one day nearer as we wait for our blessed hope, as Titus 2.13 calls it, and as we near our journey's end.